Today's scripture reading is from Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 through 7. It's a familiar one. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This is the word of the Lord together. Thanks, Thanks be to God. Lord God, uh, we want to be changed by your word this morning. want to be changed by uh, meeting you and your spirit in this place. And so we ask, uh, would you do just that? Would you meet us here? Would you continue your work of uh, transformation of us in Christ Jesus by the power of your spirit? Amen. Okay, so we're, we're digging into Advent. Uh, which, you know, maybe Advent is one of those things you grew up with. If maybe you had a little Advent wreath in the middle of your dinner table or something, you light a candle each week. Maybe it's like, man, what are you talking about? We just started shopping the moment Thanksgiving was over and it was Christmas all the time, right? Uh, or, or something totally different. Uh, and so I don't want to take uh, for granted, even though Christ community has done Advent for years, I don't take for granted that we all are on the same page about like what that is and what we're doing here, right? And so Advent comes from a Latin word that means arrival. Uh, and so it's all about looking and remembering. Looking and remembering the arrival of Jesus. And so what we're doing in Advent for these next few weeks leading up to Christmas Day uh, is that we are first looking back and remembering the longing before the first Advent. And we're also looking forward. We're, we're remembering forward as well the promise of the second Advent. And we're we're. God promises in Christ Jesus to consummate all uh, in his grace. And what we're doing uh, in that season is we're cultivating a longing, cultivating a longing for God, a longing uh, for Jesus before the day uh, when we celebrate on Christmas the, the coming of Jesus, right? The beautiful reality of his arrival. And then, of course, if we're really doing the church calendar thing. We just celebrate that for 12 days, right? With all kinds of birds. That is what the song says. Uh, so we're diving into Advent for the next few weeks and thinking of it in terms of uh, the, the paradox of the good news of Jesus, right? A, a paradox means a, a seeming contradiction. And so uh, you think of things like you know, the drawing of the hand, drawing the hand, right? M.C. Escher, you ever see that one? Or he's got some uh, etchings, I guess it's etchings actually, uh, where people are going upstairs and then downstairs. And it's like, well, that's, that's not possible. It's a paradox. It's a seeming contradiction. Uh, and so that's a visual idea of what a paradox is. Uh, there's also this paradox of, of what God is doing in the incarnation. And so we're calling this a, a, a generous paradoxy, which is a little bit of a, a play on an old book title. If you've been around uh, evangelical bubble for a few years, you may remember there was a book called a Gener Generous Orthodoxy. 
uh, the, the idea was uh, that you hold to orthodoxy, uh, but do so with a, a kind and gentle and kind of magnanimous heart. Uh, and I think, unfortunately, most of uh, most of that generosity that kind of sprung out of that book was kind of like, uh, well, generosity means not really having convictions. It's not much of an orthodoxy, unfortunately. Uh, but the really cool thing is that I thought of that phrase with a particular author in the book. And then I realized just this morning, that a woman that I am going to quote later in this sermon has a website called Generous Orthodoxy, uh, who really represents it well. So it's great. There's a both and, right? Uh, of you know, you think of a generous orthodoxy again, one who's who's standing firm in convictions and orthodoxy, and yet does so with a kind and loving heart. So the play on words here, generous paradoxy. This is a generosity that is uh, not lacking in conviction. This is a generosity that is radical. Radical, it's to the root of a thing. It's all the way down. Uh, God's generosity is the giving of himself. The giving of himself. How is this possible? The God of the universe, right? The one who, who has no boundaries, who's omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent. How can he give himself? It's a paradox. It's a paradox. And we're leaning into this seeming contradiction, this paradox of the generosity of God uh, giving himself these incredible thoughts of God becoming man, uh, uniting himself in Jesus to human beings as well. The giver of life is gift of life in and of himself. It's amazing. So we're going we're gonna to spend some weeks pondering this. And so this week, we're focusing on this idea of uh, God in Christ Jesus, almighty yet helpless. Almighty yet helpless. And we're looking in the book of Isaiah, obviously. It helps that we just, uh, we're in the book of the prophet Micah, who's one of his contemporaries, who is prophesying to Israel and Judah in the same time. So you got a little bit of an idea of the context here. But uh, Isaiah is prophesying in a season, for the most part, at least earlier on, uh, when Israel and Judah are just in rebellion. Israel's in all-out rebellion, and their, their judgment is coming soon. Uh, Judah is in a rough path. They have one of their worst kings, and Isaiah is uh, pleading with them. I mean, God has basically told them, by the way, they're not going to listen. Most of your life in ministry is just going to be you're speaking the truth to people who do not have ears to hear it. And I have spiritual capability uh, to hear what you're going to say, but nonetheless, you're going to say. Uh, and so this is the context in which Isaiah is speaking here in uh, chapter 9. There are sort of several chapters that are uh, together. There's more storyline. It's not just Isaiah speaking things like 700 years before Jesus, like, by the way, a baby is coming. <laughs> it has context. I'll give you just a little bit of it in Isaiah 7. Uh, the prophet is speaking to the king of Judah. His name is Ahaz. Again, he's one of the worst 
And uh, what you have here is the northern kingdom, which remember kept the name of Israel, is uh, has attacked the southern kingdom, Judah. They have actually uh, 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 gotten together with Syria. Sometimes in your Bible, you may see it uh, uh, translated as Syria, uh, or you may see it in the original name, which is Aram. And so Aram and Israel, in, in Isaiah 7, he calls it Ephraim, but that is the, the name for Israel, the northern kingdom. They've banded together. They've actually attacked Judah. Uh, Ahaz feels very vulnerable in that moment. And so, you know, if your enemies are banding together, we've watched Survivor. It's popular again. Somehow, like this thing has been on for 90% of my life, I think. Right? And I'm old. I'm getting old. Uh, right? You you got to get an alliance going. That's, of course, if someone's allying with someone else against me and they're more powerful, I've got to get an even more powerful ally. <laughs> but God speaks to Ahaz through Isaiah, basically to say like, hey, you're going to be okay. Don't ally. Don't go looking for uh, the bully down on the corner to come with you. <clears throat> I am with you. He says in Isaiah 7, verse 10, ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or the grave or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. And I will not put the Lord to the test. Oh, he made it sound so spiritual. And uh, God rebukes him in and through Isaiah. God is uh, moved to anger in that moment because uh, Ahaz is not being spiritual. God sees his heart. God knows what's really going on. He's not going to coax him out and say, no, 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 really, you can trust me. It's not one of those situations. Uh, what Isaiah is showing us is that Ahaz's heart is hard to the Lord. And he's like, no, no, good, man. I got a Syria. <laughs> We're totally good. These are like, these are the Nazis of their day, right? These are the nastiest people, and they're going to come help me out. I'm not afraid of the people in Damascus and Samaria. So he's not trusting the Lord in this moment because he is allying with the nastiest of the nasty. And so uh, the, the real brief sort of flyover is that God tells him there is a judgment coming for Judah then. Uh, and it's going to come in through Assyria, actually. And he gives this terrifying image there in uh, Isaiah 7, Isaiah 8, of floodwaters that are going to rush in on Judah and come all the way up to the neck. So he says, it's, it, Judah's not going to be completely destroyed, uh, but it's going to be bad. And by the way, that does end up happening uh, for Ahaz's uh, heirs. So it's into this context. <clears throat> where God is speaking through Isaiah, his promise. And some of the promises that we kind of immediately slap on the Christmas are actually things that are, that are happening there and then, and also apply to Christmas, right? So don't, don't hear me trying to take away your precious Christmas verses. They're my precious Christmas verses too. I love them, right? But, uh, but God is actually saying in and through Isaiah uh, that you're going to have a son, and by the time that son is old enough uh, to know what's right and wrong, he'll be eating curds and honey. All these threats will be gone. That's my promise. And, and that is the promise there and then to Isaiah and the people uh, in Judah. 
which they probably heard about afterwards. Right? He spoke it to Ahaz, and then he wrote it down later, and then they would have heard about this later on. But nonetheless, that's what's going on there in Isaiah. Uh, and then he goes on and talks about this son a little more, and it becomes clearer and clearer, like, oh, it's Isaiah's son that's being spoken of here, yes. But there's also this greater fulfillment. There's a son to come. Uh, because Isaiah's son would not be described as wonderful counselor, almighty God, the everlasting father. It's a little much. <laughs> and so that's, that's what we're looking at. Uh, where there's the, the promise of deliverance, there's the promise of a son to come, there's the promise that, hey, by the time your son uh, is able to tell what's wrong and right, I'm going to deliver uh, people down. I, I'm going to put all of this down. And there's more. There's a deliverance to come that we cannot wrap our minds around. I don't believe for a moment that Isaiah was seeing into the future, the manger scene, and like, oh, Right? No, uh, he was speaking words from God. There's a son to come. Uh, there's a rescuer to come uh, that will deliver us in a, in a far deeper sense than anything uh, that God is doing with Assyria here and now. So here's what we see in the verse. The almighty one, the thrice holy, self-existent, utterly righteous, omniscient, omnipresent, right? All that. Uh, the, the, the Almighty One, out of nothing but His love, not earned, nothing but His love, decided to give His creation a gift. And like, that could be enough, couldn't it? <laughs> the Almighty God decided to give His people, uh, Israel, and then those beyond, even us. A gift in the sermon. That's amazing. That's really cool. That would be enough. I mean, think about uh, uh, if, if somebody with really high stature, somebody really looked up to him, gave you a gift and put it on the wall, would you? Or you put it somewhere, you display it. There's this uh, little diner in my hometown. It's called Jim's Steak and Spaghetti. And it's my chain. And I don't know anybody who's ever gotten a steak. It is all about spaghetti. I literally have no idea if there's actual steak on the video. And it's this little, like, diner vibe. If you've ever seen the movie uh, We Are Marshall, they, they tried to remake this diner because Jim wouldn't let him film, or his daughter wouldn't let him film uh, in the restaurant, right? They, they remade this little thing, you know, in an empty storefront in downtown Atlanta. Uh, and so, but Jim steak and spaghetti all over the wall are these pictures of famous people who have dined there at some point, right? Who like did a concert coming through my hometown and sat down in a booth. And so he got a picture and it's just all over the wall, which is really cool. And then there's the one booth where the portrait of him serving John F. Kennedy is, right? That's the booth where JFK sat and it's right there. Uh, yeah, there he is. That's the booth. There it is. Uh, and so, right, you think about that, like as someone with prestige. We're, we're in an era more and more where it's like, well, I'll only put it up there if I agree with that. But back in the day, right, people knew, like the president of the United States came and, and sat in the booths. Cool. I, I might not agree with his politics. That doesn't matter. That's amazing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put that up uh, in a place of prominence. It should be enough. But there's more, right? Uh, his gift is paradox. His gift is paradox. 
right? God has come uh, and, and given us a gift, loved us, uh, and yet we are those who would rebel against him. God gives us the gift of his love, and yet we continue to try to like juice life out of whatever it is that makes us feel good. I listened to a podcast the other day and immediately ordered the book of this guy who was being uh, interviewed. I got home from my parents' house yesterday afternoon and immediately tore through two chapters of this book. It will make its way into a, a sermon at some point, but you know, overall, just he's talking about uh, how people are looking for satisfaction in the latter half of their lives. Uh, and, and how hard that can be because you look in a certain way and then that changes over time. Um, and he's just talking about how we get into these patterns of like, whether it's, it's an actual addiction to a substance or uh, an addiction to success. We just like train our brains and our souls over and over and again, like get life there, get life there, get life there. Uh, when the God of the universe has offered this gift to us, right? The God of the universe has offered us paradox and we're like, that doesn't make any sense. Let me go do some insanity. <laughs> we dive into insanity, uh, trying to get life uh, where it cannot be gotten. So uh, he's given us a gift, and his gift that he's promising here, it would be the rescuer of his people in the future. A child born into absolute helplessness. A leader who could not even walk Matter of fact, it was 700 years in the past, so there was a lot I couldn't do at that point. Uh, a teacher who could not even talk once he was born, once the incarnation came about, unable to even feed himself. So God uh, has decided to give a gift, and his gift is going to be the rescuer of his people there in the future. And that gift is this child, this helpless one, this helpless one who would be called. Again, Almighty God. I don't know what they thought of that verse way back when. That had to rock some worlds with paradox, don't you think? The son to come, the rescuer. Wait, you were just talking about your own son a second ago, and now we're into Almighty God, the everlasting Father? Hmm. Strange. And so we, we call it the incarnation, obviously. Uh, Jesus is fully God and fully man. We spent a whole month uh, in that back in the spring. We do not claim to comprehend this. We do not claim uh, to comprehend this. Historically, uh, theology has taught, in the Protestant world at least, you cannot comprehend God. You can apprehend, you can understand things about him. He has made himself knowable, real, and truly, personally, as well as things about him. But give up on the idea that you are going to wrap your brain, brain completely around what's called the hypostatic union. <laughs> fully God, fully man. The Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. Paradox which is kind of how you know that it's God, right? Uh, we are not going to comprehend this. And yet, as uh, the Christian singer Michael Cardo said, the power of paradox opens your eyes and blinds those who say they can see. 
the Almighty became helpless for you. For you. Helpless as an infant. Helpless uh, as a man nailed onto a cross. That seems even more helpless than an infant to me, right? To, to take your sin, uh, to heal all the wounds of sin against you as well. <sighs> Sometimes that seems even more hopeful. But really, my biggest problem is always me and my sin. But nonetheless, there's more to it than that as well. Uh, and to consummate all, right, in a new creation where people don't sin and harm one another anymore, ever again. And the scriptures say, everyone who looks upon him, everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him, should have eternal life. John 6, verse 14. He came for us, and those who look upon him would have life, real, true life forever. So Advent is our opportunity to pause, to look anew, to believe anew. <clears throat> and so the woman I said I was going to quote, her name is Fleming Rutledge. Uh, she's actually a, she's a priest in the uh, Episcopal Church. Uh, and that might flag something for you like, I bet we don't agree on everything. But yeah, it's okay. She's got some amazing wisdom. And she said this last year, she said, off and on during Advent, I recommend some strategies. So we're thinking about leaning into this, remembering anew, believing anew. So she says uh, she would recommend some strategies. And she says she likes the word strategy in Advent because it evokes the sense of cosmic struggle at the heart of biblical apocalyptic. We have a mighty, implacable, shape-shifting enemy. So we need strategies. We have to be double-minded living in the midst of commercial, sentimental Christmas. Even enjoying it, but recognizing the difference. <clears throat> so I'm going to pause for a second and just make sure that you know you're not going to hear from me that there is a right and wrong way to do Christmas, okay? Like, at all. Our Christmas is not in the Bible. It's not, right? There's nothing about a season or a day to sing Jesus' happy birthday. Just take that pressure off. You don't have to worry about that at all, right? Places like Ephesians 5 uh, tell us to honor Christ with our lives and our words every day. So there's that. Right? They dress each other in songs, etc. Uh, but Christian, you do not have to celebrate Christmas on one day. You have to celebrate Jesus on 365 days. So low pressure here. But here are some thoughts, uh, some of which I will tell you, like, I'm not doing this. It is just some thoughts. She says, begin by postponing Christmas decorations till the days just before Christmas Eve. Like, well, some of us are like, well, our whole church is done because we have Christmas trees up, right? <laughs> this is just, just a thought for her, right? She says, I've given up on putting up the tree on Christmas Eve, but our house only has window candles until the last week. I enjoy my neighbor's Christmas lights. But the simple candles send a message. We're serious. I love that. It might not affect anything you're doing, but I hope that it makes you think a little bit of like, yeah, what would be a strategy for me to lean into the longing this year? So that would be a, a thought for us in this sermon. 
develop a strategy that works for you to have this double-mindedness in this season, which would take our minds away from Christ Jesus, perhaps. My friend Scotty Smith said uh, at one point, uh, in Advent, for that, that four weeks, linger here. The hopes and fears of all years are met in thee tonight. And lyrics of a little town of Bethlehem. Find a way to linger in that longing. So here's some suggestions uh, as you maybe think about what your individual strategy might be. Uh, as I did music back in the day, I waited a bunch of tables and uh, so I started working at a nicer restaurant along the way at one point where uh, I was never like great at this, but if I was going to make a, a better tip, I needed to learn about pairings. If you were going to get a ribeye, I needed to suggest a wine that was like right in the right in what I thought your price point might be, like maybe slightly ahead of that, and which was really going to go well. And you would say, "Man, that guy knew what he was talking about." Let me go. Let me go by twenty-two percent there, right? <laughs> uh, so <clears throat> these are Advent pairings. <laughs> these are these are some pairings to go with the meal of Advent, right? Maybe it's uh, you, you want a, a really nice cab uh, in a creme brulee or something. I don't know. Advent pairings uh, with all the activity of the Christmas season, uh, they're fairly obvious. Lament and awe. Some pairings to go with our Advent. In the darkness, and we're leaning into the longing, the remembering backwards, the longing for the first Advent, and we're remembering forwards our longing for the second, right? But, but in the dark, lament. Man, uh, don't just blow off the last year or two or more. Uh, don't just die, blow off the difficulty, the pain, and dive into parties and programs like we're going to celebrate it here. But nonetheless, uh, we want to lament. We've kind of experienced that this fall, right? This fall was sort of the first post-pandemic for real. Like we can we can do anything, like we do anything, and everybody just dove into activity and all got sick on the same week. <laughs> uh, so let's not do the spiritual version of that let's pause let's lament let's remember don't just look away grieve in your prayers what you may need to grieve in this season right if the tears come let them and pair awe with it as well engage beauty i love uh, it's become fairly popular recently but the the author uh Kurt Thompson talks about getting in the path of oncoming beauty. Put yourself in its path uh, where it can knock you over with awe. Hal Berkeley's uh, science magazine, which is called Greater Good, says this. It's from a study from 2019. Awe may help stop us from ruminating on our problems and daily stressors. Instead, awe seems to pull us out of ourselves and make us feel immersed in our surroundings and the larger world, which may help explain its tendency to inspire generosity and a sense of connection with others. Put yourself in the path of oncoming beauty. I mean this in a uh, temporal sense, like art and 
mountains and music and things like that and spiritually as well. Uh, I want to show you a couple videos. Both of these went viral. You may have seen them before uh, of people uh, who are either have Alzheimer's or dementia encountering a bit of beauty from their past. They're just real short script, uh, uh, short clips, uh, but they're going to give us a little bit of an idea. The first one uh, is a guy named Henry Dreyer, uh, who's in a nursing home, and you're going to see at the very beginning uh, the, the guy. He may have said this on it. He, he like he's inert, unresponsive, almost unalive, and then he hears some music from when he was a kid. He was yeah. 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 And immediately, he, he lights up. His face is tilted. Pretty amazing, right? Second one uh, is a ballerina. Her name is Marta Gonzalez, again, in a nursing home. Uh, and she's given uh, uh, some headphones that are playing a bit from Swan Lake, which apparently she used to dance in. Jesus, the awe of this paradox. Uh, look at reality. Look at the reality that he is with you. Uh, became helpless to be with you. Literally you. It's amazing. He advented. He came for me, for you. Uh, his name is also called, as Isaiah says, Emmanuel, right? With us, God. God with Hannah, right? God with Stephen, God with Tyler, you, literally. That's all, right? He's united to us. He didn't just save a wretch like me. He, somehow or another, this paradox 
God himself united himself to me in Christ Jesus. The scriptures say we're in him and he is in us. And this is real hope. This is real hope, right? And we get our minds and our hearts wrapped around that, right? This is all that rewires not just uh, neurologically, but pneumatologically. I'm not sure that that's a word. It just means spiritual, right? But it's the most beautiful thing imaginable. And this is what brings us back to sanity. He is also God with Christ Community Church together. Which means that we get to play a role as well as we prayed earlier. We bring light into the world. And God says to his people in Isaiah, once you're a, a, a people walking in darkness, you've seen a great light. We've seen a great light, and we actually bring it because of our union with Christ. It's amazing. Uh, someone looking for beauty on October 18th, 2021, at 9 a.m., was a hiker set out to climb Mount Elbert in Colorado, which is the highest in the Rockies, highest peak in the Rockies, uh, second highest in the lower 48. It usually takes about seven hours. Uh, 11 hours later, uh, the hiker was still not home. So someone's family or roommate or something alerted search and rescue. And a five-person team went out and looked until uh, 3 a.m. And apparently, this is wild, right? There's cell service on Mount Albert. So they called uh, his phone again and again. And I'm just, I, it didn't say whether it was a man or woman but I'm just assuming it's a man because of what comes next. Uh, the hiker did not answer his phone because he didn't recognize the number calling him. <laughs> they came out more to search the next morning and uh, the hiker appeared back in his car. He'd made it all the way back. The Lake County Colorado Search and Rescue says, if you're overdue, according to your itinerary, and you start getting repeated calls from an unknown number, please, Answer the phone. <laughs> PSA for the morning. Uh, maybe some of us feel like we've been out uh, wandering around 14,000 feet on a frozen mountain in the darkness lately or the last few years or whatever. But God uh, with us has come and he has promised to come again. And that changes everything. God is uh, not a spam caller trying to reach us to buy mortgage insurance or some ridiculous thing like that. He's not even Lake County search and rescue, as welcome as that might be. Uh, he is the one willing to come helpless, willing to come helplessly. Uh, take uh, humiliation for you and for me, for us. Make us new and to make all new when he comes again in his second advent. And so he is the one in and through us who brings light into the darkness as well and will overcome it totally one day. And so as we live into the advents, uh, he transforms us, right? He puts us on the search and rescue team as well. And so we look on him and hope. Uh, and our lives and our words become that light that point others to him as well, to look on him and hope. And unto us, he's promised this son. Unto us, he was born, helpless, yet almighty, 
such that all who look upon him have life to the full forever. This is the hope of his advent. Lord, we ask that you give us eyes to see. We ask as we're here together this morning and we're, we're celebrating and maybe we're uh, in awe on some level of the way that you've worked in our community, in our church life over the last few weeks. We don't want to leave it there. We don't want to leave it uh, just thanking you for the gifts, but we want to lean instead into the paradox that you are the real gift. That the wonderful things you've provided for us, that the incredible uh, beauty of our world, it's been a beautiful week. That all of us speak, all of it speaks to us of something deeper, of something greater. So we pray, would you magnetize our hearts to the beauty of your good news? You cause us to truly uh, look on you this week and remember and hope. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.